0: I'm Tim Crosby and welcome to episode 5 of Down the Track and once again I'll be joined by Sean Whip. Thanks for having me Tim. We're uh, back for our big fifth episode. We're ticking along well here. It's going along quite nice and thanks again for the feedback we are receiving on the podcast. uh, As Once again we'll try and give the Victorian Athletics crowd a bit of an update on what's been going on and also let's try and catch up with what's happening in the world of athletics because generally it's really going to start to kick off again Sean.
1: Yeah yeah we we get around to almost the proper start of a, a domestic season you know world cross-country trials and hunter so plenty for uh, everyone to keep an eye on and a few uh, spicier milers mates as well
0: yeah well and for all of those who say i'm not racing till january well we're going to see them this month <laughs> now also don't forget that this podcast is now available on the uh itunes store so certainly get along to itunes and uh get it loaded as one of your favorites So in December, we had Brett Robinson make his way to Japan for the Fukuoka Marathon. We didn't cover it in the last edition of Down the Track, but we're going to give it a little bit of love because uh, down at the Steigen Classic, Lucifer Stratton had a, a really good and uh, a very, very candid interview with Brett about the Fukuoka experience. Sean, what was your sort of takeaway from that race?
1: Uh, I think um,
0: you know, Brett had been
1: very honest leading up to it that he didn't want to be um, an Australian athlete who waited until he was, you know, in his mid-thirties or, or really late in his career to try a marathon? Um, yeah, as you've spoken about in the past, it's an event that does take a, a fair bit of learning and a, and a bit of trial and error. Um, and I think maybe he had about a seven-week build-up for it, which I think you know, he'll go on and discuss in those interview excerpts, sort of the, the pros and cons of that quicker turnaround. But you know, it's, it's really fascinating to see a guy who's been a, you know, an Olympic finalist over 5K and a world indoor finalist over 3,000 metres as well um, step up to you know, a distance where we're looking to be more globally competitive at.
0: Well, in the end, Brett got to about 32K, and it was all over Red Rover from there. So, and he'll just explain a little bit about what went wrong.
2: Um, yeah I got to 30k and my quads kind of just gave way and couldn't handle the impact of the roads anymore so um, I just couldn't run anymore so I stopped at 32 and that knocked me around a bit I spent uh, two weeks really struggling and
0: so, obviously, Sean, not all plain sailing for Brett in that race. It Yeah, you know, look, the marathon is a, a race of attrition, but generally for those who are conditioned, uh, getting to 32 is just about where the race starts. But unfortunately for Brett, that was where it was all over.
1: Yeah, for, for some it's it's a tired cliché, but many of the elites do talk about the fact that most races don't really seem to kick off in earnest until about 30 k, um, and, and Brett definitely... Was ambitious in his in his early pacing and, and early splits, and and had had a very positive experience on the course prior, you know, in terms of pacing to about 23k for uh, Sondre Moen during his European record of 205ish. Um, so yeah, you, you definitely can't knock the, the the character or the the sort of intent of the guy. But um, I think as as he touches upon there, he's he's learned a great deal, and um, he'll be much better for it in the future. Yeah,
0: well, he'll he'll sort of in the next excerpt, he's just going to tell us a little bit about what happened after 32.
3: I heard someone
2: say that like 30k you're still feeling okay and then that yeah. 2k just yeah so changed everything um yeah about 30k I'm like like I was feeling good it, even like 28k I'm like I should even go faster now and then um about 30, uh, 30k I'm like oh getting a little bit tired but I think that's expected and then um about 500 meters later I'm like wow my quads are sore and then about a k later I just couldn't run properly anymore I couldn't stride out so I kind of my brain was not letting me stride out because it was hurting so much so I kind of went back to a shuffle and um, I was trying so hard.
0: Now as I said it was a very candid interview and and Brett actually goes into what he sees as some of his training flaws. Now, you, know, you might look at a guy of this level of experience and saying, well, hang on, why are they having training flaws? They should know what they're doing. But I suppose that the marathon is a bit of a new distance for Brett and without a lot of level of experience within that training squad or the coaching background there, uh, what do you see as what he can do as the next steps forward for the marathon? I think
1: that's the hardest thing with the marathon in the sense of you know every event, you know, people talk about individualisation of training plans and so on, but you know, with the marathon being such a specific event and such a different event to even the half itself, um, it can be very very difficult for athletes. Almost more of a clouded event for those that have had success at five and ten and the half. It's just sort of seen as an, as an extension of specificity as opposed to a completely different event. You know, the oldest one in the book is s who was the half marathon world record holder for a long time and is not a very good marathoner.
0: As simple um, as that. Some people just aren't built for it too. Yeah. No, and We're not saying Brett is, not I think Brett is, but yeah. um, as yeah. we're going to hear from him now, he goes through what he believes some of his flaws were and uh, as he, he's going to go do the London Marathon in april mm-hmm. and i think he's now learning well what is it they now have to do yep. to get a good performance on the board
2: i think i think it's probably because i've come from the track um, i haven't probably done enough k's and long runs and road races um, like i've only run three half marathons in my life like i've then done maybe five ten k's it's not like i've run on the road heaps so i think i need more like 40k runs um to kind of condition my legs and then more probably road races to just get used to that impact but I've spoken to people and a lot of people not necessarily had it as bad as me but have finished and be really really sore and then yeah. the next uh, marathon they're fine yeah, so okay. yeah. I think that definitely running 32k will help me for the next one
0: so a very big thank you to Brett Robinson for opening up so much about that experience. It can be hard when you fail, you know, to, to talk about it, but um, as we saw, Lisa really got some good stuff out of him and yet again, you yeah, Lisa's doing a great job out there with the mic, but, but Brett, you know, well done on having a go and as he says, by getting to the 32 there, he knows what it feels like when he goes to London. It might make that job that little bit easier.
1: Oh, definitely. He's a guy with... Um a pretty, uh, a pretty strong history in, you know, bouncing back from injury or, or struggles in various races to sort of pop up at the right times and, you know, qualify for major events or pull out big performances. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him on the board for the marathon in, you know, Doha or, or Tokyo for sure.
0: Yeah, and hopefully we'll catch up with him before and after London and uh, hear the good news story from that one. Mm. Now, the Steigen Spectacular was on late in December, just before Christmas, and it was pretty spectacular, Sean.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an event that's the sort of the brainchild of Louis Rowan and, uh, and Brett Whiteman, um, and it's an event that has pretty substantial prize money put on um, and is very well attended by the, the Geelong local crowd.
0: It certainly is and it's now starting to get runners from across Australia coming down to do it you know, initially it was sort of aimed at just being the secondary 10k after ZADAPEC for those who didn't make it but gee it's really blossomed.
1: Yeah it's really turned into that, you know there's a, always a really reliable pack of sort of sub 30 attemptees and um, we saw that again um, across the board that there were a number of people that um, you know, really worked well as in, in bunches and, and got everyone sort of the, the goal they were after for the weekend.
0: But as an evolving product too, we're seeing you know, now sprints coming in uh, with Pole Vault uh, and also the addition of the junior 800s leading through to the senior 800 and also the mile for men. So let's go through some of those results. 200s first, Britt Burkett back out again. She ran a PB in the 200, 24
1: yeah, and I, th- I think Britt's been an awesome example of someone who was definitely a very good junior, you know, was picked for the World Junior Relay Squads and so on, um, and has just kept at it, really. Like, the, the transition from being a, a good junior sprinter to a good senior sprinter is difficult. She's now medalled at an open national level in the 100, um, and, you know, is just proving herself more and more at each comp she turns up to, and, you know, works full-time as well, so the juggling of, of those parts of life, yeah, she's doing really well with that.
0: Yeah, well, Britt's going to talk us through the race.
3: Just go as quick as I can for 120 metres and then try and hold on to the end. <laughs> was basically the game plan. Um, look, the, all the girls that ran out there were, could, could have won it, really. Um, I've been training pretty well, um, so I just put it down to that. But it could have been Mia, it could have been Nana, it could, it could be anyone on the day, really.
0: So second in that one, Mia Gross, one of the locals, 24:51. Third, Nana, 24:67. Probably times for those two that they're still coming back into the season, and we'd hope that they'll be running a bit quicker as they go through to championship uh, time.
1: Yeah, you'd think so. I know Nana had mostly popped out in relays and sort of 4x4s and things, and even Mia had run a 4x4 at at state relays, and she's since popped down for some pro racing. So I think, yeah, they're still sort of doing early season bits and pieces, but um, good to see them back out competing for their clubs.
0: Now, Jack Hale stepped out for the men's 200 metres, 20.62, a big PB for him there, Sean.
1: That is... um, That's not mucking around. Um, I think, yeah, he... he, did have a bit of a bit of a problem there with the wind gauge, I believe. There was a bit of a technical
0: error. Um, yes, we will talk about that. Um, yeah. but we'll, we'll let let let's <laughs> let Jack, first of all, talk about the race itself. Mm. Jack,
4: new PB. Yeah, pretty rough. Nice. Uh, it's always going to be a good day, good condition. So, yeah, I'm happy with it coming up legally as well. And, again, as I said, awesome race with the boys. And I just had to stay strong in that home straight, and that's what I did. And I think it'll be nice to get some 200s out this season.
0: So, fairly happy chap there, but um, as it turned out, no wind recording for either that race or Britt Burkitt's, so I'm not sure exactly what was happening there, because this was, you know, we are claiming Jack now, because he runs Resident, but it was also a Tasmanian state record. I
1: believe it was. Um, I think the there's a time for which the wind gauge has to be activated for the 200 to capture the wind appropriately. I uh, don't believe that happened. So I think that's still currently being looked into, but um, it could be a bit frustrating for a guy that's had some timing issues in Perth and so on with mm. equipment failure. But, you know, as he's, he's going to go on and speak about in a minute, um, he's got some big plans coming up.
0: Yeah, in second of that event, Will Johns, the ever-reliable Will 2147, and Jara Conte 2152. Good to see Jara out. The young 19-year-old.
1: Yeah, he's a guy that's had um, a fair few sort of hamstring niggles and unfortunately missed World Juniors with a hamstring problem, um, but yeah, the, the more we see him back out on the track, the better it's going to be for that SNN group.
0: But as you were alluding to, Lisa did uh, have a chat to Jack about what's coming up and World realize sounds interesting.
3: So you put in a pretty big uh, pre-season?
4: Yeah, it's been huge, so I mean, it's been, it's been my biggest one to date, before, um, including Commonwealth Games lead up. So. I've stayed injury-free, healthy this whole time, so I'm about to see where the hundreds will take me this year.
3: Yeah, and what's next on the agenda for you over Christmas? Going home to Hobart tomorrow, I heard.
4: Yeah, going home tomorrow on the 23rd, which will be nice. um, Racing there for some of the handicap pro meets on the 28th, 29th, and 30th, uh, and 1st. So it's nice to get home in front of a home crowd and have a run.
3: Put some money in the bank.
4: Always. It's good fun.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Racing plan for next year.
4: So we have World Relays, uh, which is a big one for us boys, and put so much work into this relay team over the past 24 months, so going forward to that, it's our good chance to have a real crack.
0: So no mention there at that stage, though, of uh, Doha at this point for Jack. What do you reckon you'd be thinking about that right now?
1: I, I think Australia would definitely look to send a relay team off the back of the success those guys had now on the Commonwealth mm. Games stage. Um, and with Rohan Browning and, and Trey Williams and guys like Gamble and Breslin and stuff having really substantial success over the, the individual 100 as well, mm. I, I guess it's that hard thing of... You know, making the heats of the 100 at a world championship level does usually require you to, you to run about 10-10 um, mm. which Browning and um, Williams have shown they can do. I guess maybe it's the replicability of that so being able to do that at multiple meets or doing it Inner heat, as opposed to doing it at sort of one perfect meet, you know, on the gold coaster in Perth. Mm. Um, I don't know, mate. Maybe he's just looking, yeah, towards what is a major event for the relay squads and, and a major cash event as well.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Now, twenty point six two, uh, that puts him or well, put him onto the second spot behind Hartman on the rankings for Australia last year. Do you see big future for the two hundred for him as well?
1: Yeah, I, and I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but, um, yeah, I think it would put him in yeah, a second or third, maybe with Zane Branko ran pretty fast at World Juniors as well, to place fifth, but, um, I don't know, I think people were surprised to see Jack pop out in the two, as he is sort of your, your more traditional 100-runner, but, yeah, if, if that's an event that, you know, he's obviously showing a very high level of ability at, maybe that is something he investigates a little bit more as he... Um, grows and gets mm. older and stronger and all those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, we will, will be following Jack, obviously. Um, as I said, he went back to Hobart and did a few events there, but mm. um, we might see him in a few of the gifts, but yeah, it's pretty exciting times, I think, for Jack Hale, Yeah, because he was one that you could have pegged a few years ago that might have gone astray, might have not had the, you know, the, the ability to continue through from that great junior career, but I think he's back.
1: Yeah, as we've said, that junior-senior transition is quite brutal, and to see himself and Browning and Williams sort of all, all pop out of that, yeah, you know, super junior race, um, yeah, it really bodes well for the Australian relay system.
0: Let's have a chat about the 800s. And uh, there were their junior races. Uh, winner for the girls, let's go to that one, was Lucinda Rourke in a PB of 213.39. So <laughs> Lucinda's just going along her merry way, isn't she? Yeah, she's um,
1: she's had a fantastic year, you know, competing for Haylebury now and um, still being coached by Liz Matthews. And she's got Morgan Mitchell as a training buddy now. So she's she's king goals on a number of fronts. And I think she's still doing tries as
0: well, which oh, okay. I think is really good for her. Because she's, oh, definitely yeah, that age, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so it's good that she's doing multidisciplinary stuff. A bit of but, variety. Yeah, and so the world for her just doesn't revolve around athletics. But 2.13.39, Sky Alice, you know, another one of our good Geelong runners, 2.16.05. Yep. And Megan Dixon, uh, 2.17.32. They ran out the podium there in the under eight800 metres. In the boys' event, Nicholas O'Brien from Chilwell, another local, one fifty seven sixty five. So a good run there from Nick, and we're just going to hear from Nick about his race.
2: Yeah, I didn't think I'd be able to pull that out after Vic Miles, but, yeah, I'm happy with that time. Uh,
3: 154 at Vic Miles.
2: Yeah, it was, a, it was a hard one, but super happy with that time, though.
3: Yeah. How's the training going this season? They're pretty good uh, season opening times.
2: Yeah, um, it's really exciting to see this t- these times this early, but, I don't know, just let Nuala coach <laughs> see what she does. She seems to do it pretty well.
3: So what's the plan from here on in?
2: Uh, sort of just work on the speed, I think the first lap something to work on, so go ahead and try and get the quicker 400, but yes, yeah, see, see what happens.
0: So as he said, wasn't quite able to do the 154 he'd done at milers just a few days before, but Nick's a pretty interesting character, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he's he's been a kid who was always in terms of stature, it was always very big, very young, um, and I think that can be a little bit of a tricky label in athletics to carry because often you know as was an under fourteen or something like that. You know, if you're under thirteen or under twelve, we're in the little lath sort of setup. You do quite well just because you're a lot bigger than other athletes usually. But I think with the long-term approach that Anula uh, Costa, his coach, has spoken about, you know, even with the sort of older proteges like Christian Davis, he's he's never been an athlete that's been overtrained or rushed through right. development. Yeah, so very,
0: very typical Anula approach. Yeah, isn't it? yeah.
1: I think we're still saying that he is still improving each year. He hasn't really seen that plateau that a lot of really tall kids see early on. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, if he's still enjoying his running and, and having fun with it, then we should see him around for quite some time.
0: And having Christian Davis in that squad must be an absolute bonus for him.
1: Oh, yeah, a guy that's showing, yeah, real ability over the four and the eight. I think, um, you know, if you were to have someone to follow sort of the 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 path of in terms of performance. Um, you yeah, know, it's got to put a lot of confidence in yourself and your coach and your training group.
0: Second in that race was Jean-Philippe Souley from Old Scotch in 159.60 and Josh Berry, another one of the locals down there. We've seen a bit of Josh during uh, the year as well. He ran 203.51. Hmm. Now, in the senior women's, it was Clara Dess. Now, Clara is a local, Geelong Guild. She ran 211.60, a little bit shy of her PB of 208.7, uh, but she was just ahead of Sarah Billings in 213.50 and then Zoe Woods from Williamstown, 214.52. A pretty good run from Clara, and she took out the... There was a bonus there if you are a local and you won that race, which is nice for her. We are going to hear from Clara about her, her plans and uh, probably a little bit about the race as well, because Clara comes from... Background of also doing the 400 hurdles, so let's just see what she's got to say.
5: Yeah, I would have liked to go for a little bit faster the best lap, but I think it was pretty even, so it's good.
3: Yeah, Sarah in the race with you tonight that would have been the person I suppose you had on your mind during the kick home. Was she coming at you?
5: Yeah, I kind of kept thinking that she would be probably coming because I knew she's. Pretty fast and got a pretty good sprint, so didn't really think that I had it till I crossed the line. Ah, fantastic! And what's your major goal this season? Oh, my major goal just to improve, I guess, my 800 time and my 400 hurdles time, and so I'm competitive at the nationals in Sydney.
0: So a bit of altitude work on the plans there for Clara, and where do you see her going, Sean? Is she, you know, the, what's the time for the 400 hurdles, about 61?
1: Yeah, so she's run 60.1 for the 400 hurdles. Um, so she's, in, I guess, an interesting sort of double threat in the four hurdles and the eight. You know, she has gotten down to 208 in the, in the 800 last season, so in conversations we've had in passing, I know she's sort of weighing up if she might have any um, options over in the US in sort of the college scene. Mm -hmm. If you've got someone that can feasibly run 4x4s, 400s, 4 hurdles and 8s. It's pretty handy for a squad. Yeah, it's a pretty handy sort of set of breadth and, and those are I guess both events that she sort of investigated in drips and drabs. Like, she's never been super committed to one event. So, it, it would be really interesting to see if she sort of continues to mould both of them.
0: Yeah, well, she's an 18-year-old, so there's there's still time. And, and I don't think she's been sort of belted as a junior either. I think she's sort of coming from a reasonable background. Here, no, I think, so. I think
1: that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, she seems to improve pretty steadily each season, so... Yeah, as we've spoken about, if someone's plateaued for two or three years as a junior, it's maybe <laughs> more yeah, of an so indication we'll, of
0: that. Yeah, you know, we'll follow what Clara's doing over time and mm. you know if she does then make the jump to the collegiate scene it will be interesting to see you know, where she goes. Yeah and definitely. how she performs and what sort of event grouping she sort of goes into. Sarah Billings two thirteen fifty, probably not terribly happy with that one at this stage.
1: Yeah, I, I think in um in Speaking and passing to her partner, Geordie Williams, um, she was very not happy with the time. But I think that's a hard thing coming back from. I think she had a sacral stress fracture, yeah. so I mean, it was out, nasty. Yeah, it was out for quite a while, and I think you know maybe a bit after the race, she would, would have just been happy to be back out there. But, yeah, when you've sort of come from the loftier heights of being yeah. well under 210, yeah, you know, it's it's got to be frustrating. But I think, you know, just awesome to see her back out there running.
0: Well, the only way to get back in is to race. And yeah. unfortunately, some people do shy away from that. And, <laughs> and you've got to start somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. yeah. And, you know, so good on Sarah for getting out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, she's probably not terribly happy with that. But, gee, it's only January or well, it's December for this meet. So yeah. she's plenty, got plenty of, time of time left. Yeah. All right. You mentioned Geordie Williams, he took out the mile Couldn't break the four minutes, he's done that five <laughs> times Before, but at this occasion He ran 400.94 But it was a good win Because the field was pretty hot I think uh, I think the
1: joke afterward Was that Geordie um, might be sending The pacemaker and training group member uh, Lockie Barber an invoice for the $1,000 He missed out on <laughs> because uh Whilst Lockie was pretty happy with his pacing job, I think he was considered a little bit off for what was asked. Um, I think he was about 233 through the K. Uh, he asked for about 229, 228. So, I think that just shows that when you do get a stacked field like that with Williams, Rainer, even guys like uh, Matthew Clark and, of course, Peter Boll, um, the way it sort of worked out was Lockie took a little while to get to the front. I think in you know he had good intentions. He didn't want to go you know, sort of 26 through the first 200 and ruin it, but that sort of meant that Matt Clark got stuck sitting in second. So when one of the, uh, you know, with respect to Matt, when one of the slower runners gets stuck out the front when the pacemaker pulls off, you know, Matt sort of kept it ticking along at the 61-second pace they were at, but I think they hit the bell in about 3.05. So... As they A came, lot of work to do Oh yeah And as they yeah. came through To I think about 300 metres to go Jack Rayner sort of Popped up from the clouds And yeah. pulled himself Towards the lead And then there was Sort of this mad dash For everyone to try And cut each other off Before the bend yeah. Um, And yeah Geordie Williams Just too strong Over that final 100
0: yeah, we're looking at the top five there. You've got Williams in 4 then four o one for Rainer and Bowl, and 4-4 and Hanson in four o two. So it was a pretty bunched finish, mm. but uh, Williams just had the experience and probably the nowster to, to take the win out there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think um, we'll definitely hear from um, both of these athletes in some excerpts coming up, but Pete did sort of joke that the extra 109 metres was a lot further than he thought it might be, but yeah. just small tactical things there as well. Like but it's
0: also the getting the pacing right on that too because yeah. of that extra bit at the start. and. Yeah and those lap you know. times that you might hear, they don't necessarily equate to what you're used to. Yeah. And so it is a bit of a different thing doing the, the standard mile to doing a 1500 or Definitely. particularly an 800 for Pete. Yeah. Geordie uh, does go through the race, so it's quite interesting to hear what he had to say.
5: Geordie Williams, congratulations on the win tonight. It was a, it was a good fit. Yeah, it was uh, pretty tough, actually. Like, I, you know, reading the start list on the way in, I knew it was going to be a good race, and it was. I've certainly had my work cut out for me with... uh, I mean, I know Jack is more of a longer-distance guy, but he's got one hell of a finish. I think people don't realise how quick he is actually on the track. And then, obviously, Pete Bowles pretty quick, so plenty of guys that could really test me. So it was good. It was good to get the run out and come over with the win, yeah.
0: So you mentioned the pacing there, but, yeah, can I throw it at you, Sean? Would this perhaps have been a better race without a pacer? Oh,
1: look, you know... I don't have a magical crystal ball, but um, I, I, I sort of lean towards thinking in Australia when you get um, a stacked domestic field, you sort of get the flip side of it, no one does anything and everyone, like sort of what we saw at pack people just jog around for three laps and it turns into this mad sprint. I think maybe from an entertainment standpoint, it, it could have been very interesting to see what would have happened if there was no pace. Um, but I think especially because the guys knew there was a, a bit of a bonus there for sub four, they did want to be total long in, in some respect. Yeah,
0: and I think that's the important key. If that if they know the bonus is there, they're not going to jog around. And, you know, and this is a ploy that we've used at Milers Club as well, that you put the money on the time rather than the money on the win and yeah. then you're automatically they're going to get going. So yeah. do you really need a pace for that? Yeah, you do wonder in
1: that scenario if you know, a pairing like Rayner and Williams sort of in training together, you know, do they just talk about swapping laps and, mm. and you know, trying to put themselves both in a position to go yep. sub four? Um, because otherwise it's sort of...
0: But you had bowl in the race as well, so it was going to be mm. interesting.
1: Yeah, otherwise mm. it turns into this sort of gargantuan effort from someone like a 4th up or Hansen to try sort of do it from the front mm. solo.
0: And 4th up, as, as we're uh, hearing, has done that too many yeah, times. He doesn't he want to do it
1: anymore. always yeah. finds himself at the front and just you know, yeah. has no interest in being everyone else's rabbit. But yeah, maybe if it's a much slower race, you know, someone like Pete, is served quite well by that but yeah but Pete then has
0: to cope with the extra distance and that's what we're going to hear
1: from him now yeah
4: yeah definitely I'm happy with it though for the first one
3: yeah you just sat back and relaxed in there for a while
4: I tried to anyway yeah and with one lap to go wasn't that relaxed but yeah I'm happy with that one it's a mile first one out and um yeah we're in really good shape at the moment that's so pretty exciting,
0: so an interesting sort of step up there for Pete um, and as he, he you know he said that you know it, it was a bit harder than he probably thought it was it wasn 't that enjoyable getting towards the stretch there but but he was in there in a race where I think he 's really having to dig deep into the well, and I think that will all go well for him as he goes through the season
1: yeah and and he sort of spoke about how um, Justin Realdi 's coached the the instruction was, you know, sort of no matter how he felt with 400 to go or 300 to go was that if you, you know, if you thought you were in a spot to win it, you needed to wait as long as possible. And I guess that's just a new a new sort of environment for him to get used to because it does feel so easy for the first lap or two, but then maybe that change of pace is a little bit harder. Um, but, yeah, I think, you yeah, know, we, we were joking with him, the similar sort of 800 guys that have those sorts of mile PBs are sort of the likes of maybe a, you yeah, know, Certainly not at the same level in the, in the 15 or the mile, but guys with a 144 PB that have run the mile to that mm. sort of thing or, or faster, you know, it's, it's, it's not a big list. It's maybe sort of your, yeah. your Donovan Braziers or your Clayton Murphys, and, you know, Clayton Murphy's a 351 miler and Braziers run 357 indoors. So, mm. you know, to show sort of 401 fitness that early in the year with a big last lap,
0: Yeah, yeah, and and first go out of two. So he's on new ground, so I think Pete went through quite well Mm -hmm. um, and certainly can hold his head up high in that field and looking at who we finished behind him as well. Yeah. Lisa, yet again, had a really good chat to Geordie and uh, Geordie starts talking about the plans that he's got for this year, which is very interesting to hear. So let's hear from Geordie now.
5: What will we see from you in 2019? Um, Hopefully a uh, World Champs qualifier. Actually, in London World Champs, I... I ran and ran really well but didn't actually have the qualifier I got in on roll down so big goal for me this year is knock that qualifier out i think the fast times eluded me a little bit over the couple of years but hasn't held me back too much but you know it's always nice to get that last frontier sort of thing so what have you done
3: differently that's giving you that confidence now that you'll be able to go forward and get that time
5: i just think a few big years of uh consistent training like i've never had too much of an interruption so I think it's just that consistency year in year out week in week out sort of training so I think that's given me a bit more strength and our uh, one of our beliefs of our training is with, with lots of strength comes lots of speed so I think the the speed's there the strength's heading in the right direction so Well done yeah.
3: very exciting and I look forward to following you next year and see how you go. Awesome thank you.
0: So he talks a bit about their getting the actual qualifier for Doha because last time when he went to London, he just did it on the roll down. So do you reckon it's gettable for Geordie?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, it, you know, he's always been that guy that's had the that sort of amazing run as a nineteen year old over his head that he ran three thirty six so young and then was in a collegiate system that, you know, isn't really geared towards having to run super fast, especially the way Villanova run as a group. You know, the, you're awarded for winning things there as opposed to trying to seek out super fast times. And he did run an incremental sort of a small PB in I think it was Padova in Italy, um, in Europe and yep. you know, whilst that was a while between drinks he has been at that 336 level quite consistently so mm. we often talk about when someone's sort of ready to make a breakthrough in that top sort of 0.1% um, it's because you're, you're just knocking at the door of your PB yep. so often so you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he does crack into the, the th- sort of 35s to, to get that time out right. Yeah
0: and it would be interesting to see how he approaches Nationals as well because that's going to have a lot of waiting Oh like, definitely. Yeah. Now Pete's bowl. we've also, Lisa got to talk to him about his plans, also very interesting
4: we're just, we're just going back to a small block of training. We actually head overseas for indoors, but before that we run Hunter.
3: The yeah. championships in March?
4: Yeah, we'll do that. Um, the 800 as usual. It's the plan to race in Doha. Yep. So I think I'm pretty confident we'll get that out of the way with my training partner, Joseph. Um, and maybe, maybe run a 15 or something different as well.
0: So you're fairly close to the uh, the Pete Bowl camp there, Sean, and um, yeah, what do you think about you know stepping up to some 1500s?
1: Well, I feel like Justin threw it out to him earlier in the season when he was training quite well over some, some longer reps. I think it's kind of amusing because I think because both Pete and Joe do have yeah you know, relatively decent uh, you could say sprint ability. People do sort of get a picture of them only doing very fast work. But, you know, these are guys that, for them, you know, they do step out to doing six, sometimes seven or eight K in a session. And whilst that's not a lot to, you know, maybe a five K, 10 K sort of group, um, you know, they, they do work on the aerobic side of things. And, and I think the biggest improvements Pete and Joe have had over the 800 have come from becoming a lot better. At, you know, the sort of...
0: So having the ability to close bit. it off.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the boys sort of do a, a two-mile time trial down at um, Princess Park every sort mm. of three weeks and, and Pete and Joe have improved out of sight at that, so... I think, um, you know, Justin sort of keeps bringing it up as a bit of a joke, but now I think it's he's sort of got Pete considering it, and yeah. with, with Nationals often being a more tactical affair, um, I don't think he'd be thrilled to see a 144 guy sitting on your shoulder with...
0: No, and, and I think this is quite exciting for the whole Australian athletics scene, that we see, you know, potentially, we'll bowl in particular, but then maybe if Deng has a similar strategy moving forward with their event choice... Going towards well, Doha first and then Tokyo and then beyond to uh, you know subsequent World Championships and Com games, this could be a very interesting sort of dynamic, couldn't well, it be uh, between the groups? Well,
1: yeah. well, well Joe's Joe's never broken four minutes for the fifteen hundred. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he is down on the mile start list at the moment for the made on the seventeenth. So yeah. I think yeah, they've they've often been that that standard four hundred, eight hundred pairing, but as they're growing and you know, becoming much more confident in training, why not, you know, shake things up a little bit and and see what happens.
0: Yeah, and look, you can't sort of question Justin's ability to bring out the best in runners and also to strategise well for them as well.
1: Yeah, I think just knowing how that domestic race usually plays out, um, you know, maybe they're feeling a little bit more confident in their ability to, you know, hit those qualifying times and be relevant throughout the European season, so... Why not experiment a little bit early season?
0: Yeah, I think 2.19 two could be a very interesting year for us in the middle distance. <laughs> so no doubt one of the highlight races of the night was the women's 5,000 metre event where we had uh, two runners in particular really attack that World Championship um, target time. And how'd they go? Oh, you got to feel
1: for Sinead a tiny bit at this point, another, another near miss. Um, but, I don't know, people, people looked at it in two senses, in the sense that, A, it's December, and if you're that close to that time, and for her it was an enormous PB as well. Mm. Um, Something like
0: 50 seconds, yeah, I think. Yeah,
1: run, running flats, namely. Um, it, you know... it it bodes well. You, know, you you don't look at that and go, oh, there's absolutely no way they could have run faster. You go, well, they sort of shared pacing duties. Sinead did a fair bit of it. Um, you know, pop both those girls in a race in, in the US or you know, Europe, namely. Um, well,
0: well, there's even Hunter, isn't there? Oh,
1: yeah. Even, I believe there's supposed to be a 5K at Hunter. And um, that might
0: depend on what other races they're doing at the time, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, um, there but are
1: opportunities. Yeah, def- definitely bodes well. And they really did attack it through 3K. I think they were a tick under 9.05. So we're, we're really getting after it. Um, but. Yeah, I think you've got to be filled with confidence that if you can keep consistent in your training from this point, you know, you, you set yourself up well.
0: Well Shenade did talk about, you know, how that race panned out between her and Melissa.
3: Well done, girls. It was a great race. You went out hard from the start. So the plan was to <laughs> not <my> give <laughs> the qualifier a go.
2: Yeah, like uh, we knew the qualifier is fifteen twenty-two. And we both kind of thought that was within our reach on a, a good night. Um, so we decided we'd kind of help each other out a bit. So Liz took the first three laps so that I wouldn't go out too fast, which I tend to do. <laughs> and then I uh, went
5: in front to keep the rhythm of it, which I'm quite good at doing the steady rhythm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, we don't still don't know if we qualified or not, but hopefully we both got it
0: be amazing. So a strategy there of sharing the lead uh, with Melissa controlling pace early and then Sinead taking it uh, later and see what they could push for. And obviously it worked well.
1: Yeah, I think um, they've both spoken about how they are a, a, a pretty happy training pairing. Um, they you know, train similarly and, and enjoy sort of the same locations. And I think both are athletes that don't really enjoy going to Falls Creek for huge stints. So being able to stay down in Melbourne and train together is, you know, it's it's obviously awesome for Melissa to have someone like Sinead to work with.
0: Yeah, Melissa did touch on that.
2: We do, we come from really different backgrounds, which is really cool because I always feel
4: like
5: I'm the endurance one in the squad, like here I am, but then it's so cool that Sinead's there and I'm like, oh, all of a sudden I feel like the sprinter of the group. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the cool thing is though that like,
4: forgot what was I was going to say,
2: but like just the, the endurance that Sinead can kind of like hold that pace and it's almost like she can go this pace for 5k and then hold the pace for 10k and just doesn't slow. So she's like a metronome, it's fantastic.
0: Looking down the list, though, so, and gee, it's just PB after PB after PB. Look, Tara <laughs> Palm came in third, so, you know, credits. We've, we've talked about Tara quite a bit during the, the course of these podcasts and really pleased to see the South Australian, you know, back and running good. 1557, I think her PB is about 1550, so... but. She's thereabouts, and, uh, which is really good for her to be back and I- I- into up that upper echelon. Not quite, obviously, at the level of Sinead or Melissa. Uh, Natalie Rule, she PB'd as well, 1606. Uh, Mazza Downey, uh, Mille, you got a PB, 1610. Katie Gamble, 1626. Olivia Hobbs, 1654. They're all PBs. You know, I can hark back not too long ago where 1650 would have won you the Victorian 5000 meter <laughs> Championship, and, and now you're seeing girls that are dramatically quicker than that. So, gee... Victorian Women's distance running, and,
1: and I know we yeah we don't don't mind spooking our own product, but mm. yeah you know, a lot of those athletes did run at the
0: Victorian 5K
1: champs as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, if, if you look at your season yeah you know, well ahead of time, you can you can really map out a developmental series of 5Ks that you can sort of tick off as the year goes by, and mm. still get
0: in really good training blocks in between. And there'll still be factors come nationals too. And this is you know one of the things that everyone's saying. Oh, you know we don't start racing until X time, and you know you don't <laughs> want to over race it. But but crikey that that's a podcast unto itself how uh. we could talk about um, the ills of some of that think, because yeah. uh, because racing is racing it's not all a races there are b races there are c races there might even be d races in I your think, schedule yeah
1: that's a that's a pet hate of ours in the sense that you know sure there are a very small sliver of athletes in Australia who can legitimately say no I'm not going to race until say after Christmas or after January because they have events that lead into June July August September and a uh, you know, very good chances to be at the world championships in October but if you're a domestic athlete what what are you waiting for? You know, you're not getting a start in Zurich. Like, just get in a race.
0: Yeah, get out there and oh. do it. Um, so, look, very impressive that five thousand metres uh, world championships mark just missed once again. But uh, yet again, the roll down. And, and but a lot too depends. You know, is that an event that you'd be looking at to do it? Um, well you know, obviously Melissa would, but would Sinead be looking at the five k at, at world championship level?
1: Yeah, I thought it, um, at at Sinead had sort of been pleasantly surprised with her performance in the ten thousand yeah. and said. Look, yeah, you know, she wasn't super keen on running a midnight, super hot, war yep. attrition marathon in Doha, um, and that the 10K could be a you know, a fun little investigatory yep. option exactly. you know, that's lead- another
0: world championship yeah, yeah allegedly
1: it's 26 degrees in the stadium when they fang yep. on the air conditioning so um, you know why not and, and now the 5 ks yep. popped up
0: so yep. who yep. knows she has got a lot of options <laughs> certainly has we'll move now to the 10k which was the original reason for this whole meet and gee they had something like 40 takers for this race which they trimmed down to 30 and it's not a bad 30 with the, <laughs> the slowest runner coming in just under 32 minutes but the winning time 29.30 Brett Robinson.
1: Yeah, and I think um, people were very curious as to how Brett would play the race in the sense that there would have been... yeah, need I think for he it, was curious too. There, there would have been need for a minor miracle for someone to knock him off. Um, obviously, relatively fresh off what was a pretty painful um, 32K in, in Fukuoka. Um, but yeah, he... He looked, yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the funnier things for spectators in the sense of seeing a guy that is that good run, you know, it was about 15-15, 15-10 pace through the first 5K. He looked like he was absolutely jogging. Um, and I think once he got to 5K and saw the split, um, he took off and uh, took Joel Tobin White with him.
0: Yeah, just another... We'll get back to Tobin White as well, and we will hear from Brett, but one thing I really like about this is this event now is the next major 10K in Australia after Zadapak, and you look at the interstaters. You had Hudson in third, then you've got Guy Waters, Joe Burgess, they took sixth and seventh. Uh, Then Eddie Vining, former Victorian but now New South Wales. He was in 11th. Dave Crenidi, you know, the ever-reliable Dave, Mm. um, he came in at 13th. Daryl Crook, there 15th uh ben toomey in 20th michael nitschke from south australia he was in there as well gee the interstaters are seeing this now if you can't make zatepeg steigen's the race for you
1: yeah and, and it is a race where whilst it is a local mate everyone is there with the intent to run you know for, for what is for a lot of those guys relatively quick so it's it's not an event where you're going to get stuck with you know too many tactics per se it's just a lot of guys trying to pump out sort of you know 69 to 71 second laps on on mass yeah Brett
0: does talk to us about the race
3: (laughs) um so what was the plan going out there tonight you were pretty relaxed going through majority of the race out there
2: yeah yeah so I knew there was going to be a 30 minute group I'd say like because a lot of people talking about trying to break that barrier and so I I was happy all I wanted to do was get a race and um tick off some laps and yeah, so I just thought I'll just sit in the pack. I was actually pretty far back the first couple of laps, just, just relaxed. And also, like, a new Joel, my training partner, was the kind of main threat. So I just wanted to make sure I was behind him and uh, kind of put a little bit of pressure on him. So he if he made a move, I'd be there to cover it and not not him following me. And, um, yeah, so I pretty much just sat in until five laps to go. And then I went to the front, and I think I ran about a 62 and then a 63 which is really hard at yeah, that. took off pretty quick, yeah right? I, I went really hard and I just because I just wanted to see what and but Joel kept up credit to him like he, he just did, kept yeah yeah did. so like that's credit because like I knew I couldn't hold that pace but I just wanted him to <laughs> drop off before me and then yeah. I just wanted to get a little like 20 metre gap and then I could kind of
0: just maintain that, and um, that, that was the plan. So. Yeah. So twenty nine thirteen, as we said, uh, Joel Tobin White on debut over ten thousand metres, twenty nine twenty five, and then third place Matthew Hudson, uh, New South Wales, twenty nine thirty six. Good run there from Joel, uh, coming on the comeback trail. Yeah, back off.
1: Um, I think he had a stress reaction or fracture of some sorts. Um, and yeah, look for for a guy that took a big risk and and moved out of what was a pretty proven sort of triathlon career. You know, was in the V.I.S. for quite some time. There, decided that. Yeah, didn't love it anymore and was you know, always had that sort of running itch. Was a was a very good um, junior athlete and always featured quite well in cross-country events as mm. well. Um, so, yeah, I think
0: not been, been around a while, but he's only 24, you know. Yeah, so we're no, not to- no. talking about an old athlete here. So no. I think Joel, you know, depending on, you know, he's had that one stress reaction, you know, I think maybe they've got to be careful of training loads and volumes, but we know that he's got the inherent talent to match it with the likes of Yeah, you
1: know, I think yeah, you know, we've got James Coleman in the office obviously who sees a fair bit of Joel down at training and we have heard he is, you know, a for a guy with his PBs, he's quite a spectacular trainer, so obviously a guy that has come from a background in triathlon where it's, you know, a very high intensity long training duration periods you know, it's it's not a sport for the faint of heart so mm. coming down to something that's, you know, if anything you train for less hours in a day yeah. mu- must have like more impact. Of, yeah, but must seem like a bit of a treat in terms yeah. of, you know, putting yourself um, in, a, in an uncomfortable position and, you know, on debut to run the time uh, run the time he did there, 29-25 he's done that with a big negative split, you know, coming off the the first
0: half is sort of 15
1: 10 to 15 15 yeah. so you'd think there's a fair bit more in the locker there for uh yeah certainly 10 thousand meters
0: yeah. yeah I mean, look the good thing about this race there was five of them under under 30 minutes so yeah. it's justified you know it wasn't that long ago we weren't getting many more than that in xnae break in 30 well, not so, so much
1: that but also yeah. how many guys there are under 30
0: yeah yeah, exactly. So, I mean, under, uh, under 31. 31. Yeah. So, you know, that, and they're the ones, you're looking down there now, people like Appleby, who's mm. back. He's running Tokyo Marathon, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, Tim Norton, he's yep. got a resurgent career there, running 30-17. Yeah. These are guys who now will be looking towards Zatapak next year because they've got <laughs> yeah. what we would deem to be a qualifier. Uh, Joe yeah. Burgess, you know, I know he was struggling a bit there for a while trying to get the better 10K times, but he proved himself at Zatapak and he's gone on with it at Steigen. So, great for, for Joe. Yeah, there's to,
1: really not a lot of a blowout in that race in the sense that you know no one was slower than thirty two minutes. No, there's no big blowouts at all. And then
0: those 20... running those times are the ones you'd expect to run those times as well. Yeah
1: for twenty eight odd guys there, that's that's unreal.
0: Yeah, so it's great. So yeah, you know, good on them. Well done Louie and Brett um, Coleman and the team down there at Geelong. So yeah, another it you know as we led off with the Saigon spectacular was pretty spectacular. So it was so once again well done to the to the crew down at Geelong for putting on a great Victorian meet. Now Steigen wasn't the only thing happening We've had some other results Uh, Rare Air Club as usual I I don't know how many meets they do during the year I think it's about 10 or 11 It's certainly a busy calendar They were were on again And Cassidy Bradshaw I think got 360 at that one So not up to her normal levels But not a bad vault there from Cassidy But David Thompson is one I do want to talk about, um, look, Sean. He he got his equal PB of five zero five to take out that combat rare air. Uh, his PB was from 2014. So, Dave's more of a decathlete, I believe. And have you got a bit of background on Dave Thompson?
1: Yeah, so Dave was an athlete who... And I may misquote this a little bit, because um, it, was, it was many years ago, but he was a guy coming into World Juniors in maybe 2012 or 2010, I think. Um, and he'd had, oh, he'd had, like, leukemia or, or cancer of some sort and had, like just gotten back into training in time which you know, was phenomenal enough in itself um, and I remember at, you know, a number of the AA sort of junior high performance team were at the meet where he got the, the decath qualifier and um, and I think he's got, like, quite impaired lung function as well, which is maybe why he's done a bit more of the, the pole vaulting recently. But, yeah, you know, when he, when he qualified for World Juniors, sort of, you know, just got the qualifier and sort of collapsed over in the 1500, of course, and it was, was a pretty emotional event for everyone. But, yeah, he's, he spent a bit of time coaching as well at Scotch College and, you know, has always been a, a really lovely guy and is very big on sort of giving back to Knox as a club. And, you know, it's, it's sort of what you'd want um, any sort of high-performance athlete to be within the mm-hmm. community. Um, so it's brilliant to see him, you know, obviously still ticking Way there at, at a number of
0: events and um, doing really well. Yeah, well, 505, you know, it's nothing to slouch at. Yeah. it? it's a. It's a no mucking about. Role. So, so, you know, yet again, really good story there, isn't it? And, mm. and it just shows you that impact of athletics and what it does in people's lives, and it's always there as that backstop, you know, oh, through definitely. the ups and downs. And and it's great for rare air, too, to have someone like Dave now getting up there with your Blake Lucases and, mm. and those types and, um, you know, giving a bit of good comp. Definitely. Now, uh, looking through the Australian rankings, and it looks like quite a few of the Aussies are heading over to New Zealand at the moment. There's a few meets heading there. and uh, Not a lot of Victorians, but one I will point out is one of my favourites is Emma Werner. Uh, she was in Timaru. Uh, which is on the South Island, and her best for the hammer is forty-eight zero three. And she's started uh, twenty nineteen with a forty-six eighty four. So I reckon Emma Werner's going to be pretty happy with that, Sean.
1: Definitely in the ballpark, and um, yeah, New Zealand very proud throwing history. Um, so uh, yeah, I know they have the big shot comp over there during the year that's very popular with the likes of sort of your Damien Birkenheads and so on. Um, so yeah, awesome to see people taking advantage of, of you know, some, some niche competitions over the pond.
0: Yeah, so we'll, we'll just keep an eye out for those uh, New Zealand results because obviously there's some good stuff coming out of there. Let's move to the gifts. The gifts are starting to really ramp up. Now it's a long season though for VAL because they go right through to the late Easter and stall in mm. April. But over the uh, Christmas, New Year period we did have a few of the more substantial gifts taking place. First one of those is Maryborough the gift winner? Robert Lugo in off nine point five ran twelve point six two zero. He's a Ringwood runner. <laughs> Sean will talk a little bit about him. Just, just, just beat Matt Rizzo twelve sixty two point four. So four one thousandths they were separated. Oh. Rizzo off two point seven five. So obviously yeah. the superior runner. But gee, Robert Lugo, that's a nice little. He would have been a good dip, I reckon, on that line.
2: Yeah,
1: he's a he's a funny story. He was um, he was a guy that was at Deakin at the same time that I was in Deakin Uni and um yeah, I think he was, he was a pretty decent um, basketball player, like sort of played at sort of, I guess, like a state league sort of level and um, wanted to get faster for basketball because he, he's not a super tall guy, but he's very quick. Um, and, yeah, just sort of sent me a message one day and said, oh, look, where, where would I go? And I said, oh, yeah, w- what's your nearest club? And it just happened to be Ringwood. And Ringwood have a good website in the sense that you you just have a contact person. So, obviously, he's rung up and said, look, I'd like to get involved in sprints, but, you know, works a sort of really long hours corporate job as a, as a lawyer. Um, and I think that's where he started. Yet Ringwood, I'm not, I can't attest to who's coaching him now, but started off there, and you know, has just taken to the pro scene like a you know, duck in water. Absolutely loves it. Um, I think just that competitive aspect and also having uh, having having a name like Rupert, um, often he gets it mispronounced or misspelled about 99 times a year and it's it's one of the most entertaining things. Did I call him Robert? I'm I think, I think you yeah, did, but yeah. he's very used to that and he's got a little uh, album on his on his social media that he keeps up. He often gets work re- emails sent yeah. back saying Robert or, or yeah. Ronald or just like all these <laughs> other things. So, now he's a guy that's... Um, become very popular in that scene because, you know, he's a a guy that's come to running super, super late in life by all sort of sprinting accounts and is just loving it. So, look, and as you said those are the things we want to see you know, it's, you know, people taking the sport for sort of the competitive
0: or social vehicle that it is and just, just having a bit of fun with it yeah great to have that background on him but Matt Rizzo you know, obviously close there coming, giving him nearly 7 metres so Rizzo's going yeah. on nicely
1: yeah he's been running you know, in that Mornington Peninsula kit a bit so it'll be interesting to see what he does at Nationals
0: now the women's uh, 120 was taken out by Taryn Fisher off 1575 in 1447 200's yep. Luke Stevens. Is he back. back? <laughs> 21.20, off five metres to take the 200. The 400, David Flood, 38 metres, uh, off 38 for 47.73. The women's, Danielle McDowell, off 60, she ran 53.6. And the 800, Daniel Lawler, off 56, he ran 152.6. And in the 1600, Glenn McMillan, off 120 metres, ran 4.10. So pretty good stuff there at Maryborough. The next yeah. one on the list, they are off to... Uh, Maryborough was when? That was the 1st of... January. Yeah, it was a
1: New Day, man, news
0: Day. And then on the 5th, a lot of them then travelled to Castlemaine. Yep. Uh, the gift there was taken out by Jack Newman of 7.25 and 12.21. That was 120 metres. The women's 120, Claire De Salis, off 8 metres. She ran 13.83. In the 400, for the men, Jay Blake, Coburg runner, I think, off 50 metres. 48.7 in the women's uh, from Wenderee and Ararat Girl. Zoe Nichol- Nicholson took that in off 46. 55.9. The 800 good mate of mine, Aaron Downs. Um, Aaron, if you don't know him, very statuesque. He does a lot of modelling. He's a fiery, very, very, very handsome man. But uh, he's now supporting the or sporting the man bun and had quite oh. a bit of facial hair and Jeez. looked more like the Yeti than he did the um, the male model in this one. But he took out the 800 off 72 and 155. So great work there for Aaron from the Hippo Squad. And the 3200, Matt Konecka off 169.33.89. Uh, And we also had Dalesford on the 6th the day after. And the gift there, the two gift winners there, John Hilditch in the men's over 100 metres of 17.75 and 11.16, and the women's Lorena Savoya of 10.25. She ran 12.76. Bit of action down in Tassie as well, though, wasn't there, Sean? And uh, we've seen some, well, some interesting names actually cropping up down in in Devonport in particular. Uh, The 400 metres, Luke Major took that one out, Glen Huntley runner.
1: Yeah, it does train with uh, Lawson Power and, and Will Johns and Mike uh, Totsos, so that's a, that's a pretty formidable 400 metre group there with uh,
0: Fitzy and uh, Kath Hyden. Yeah, and I think they must be doing a tour of Tassie at the moment, so I think they good are. luck to Northern Tasmania <laughs> with that group down there. But He was off 14 metres, so Luke took, Luke took out the 400 in 47.06. Will Johns, uh, he was four forty seven ninety six. so obviously a very close finish. You know, he had four within the second there, so they would have been storming home in that one. The mile was also very interesting too at Devonport. This is on Mm. the 29th of December, so just prior to New Year's. And uh, Sam Clifford, local there, Tasmanian from Launceston I think. Now Sam's a former national cross country or junior champion and uh, he took out uh, the mile in that event. He was off 110, he ran 359.6 right behind him not far at all. It was uh, at 400.18, Stewie McSwain off scratch.
1: Yeah, I think
0: um, Grant Penny was
1: halfway to a heart attack um, in a few of those races. There was it was a little bit of a friendly pressure on Stewie to see if he could crack four minutes on grass, which I think Ryan Gregson's done, and I think maybe Collins Chiboy in his bizarre sort of tour of Australia for a you know, well under 335, I think he's a 333, 332 guy. Um, yeah, incredibly difficult to do. I think people probably underestimate how how hard it is to break
0: four for... It's probably something we'll look at the sub four list for Australia probably before the next um, edition mm. because that will be an interesting stat and I might need to get on to Jamesy and Len Johnson and a few yeah. of the others to see how many we've had to but do it. But
1: also the fact that you've, you've literally just got to chase people yeah. on grass. You've got no pace whatsoever. You're starting way out the back and you've usually got to plant yourself in lane two or three to get around traffic. Mm. So... Yeah. You know, again, early season form, we keep talking about it. You know, if you're popping out four-minute miles without too much stress on grass,
0: um, you know, you've, you've got to be in some shape. Well, we know Stewie is mm-hmm. in 400.18. That's a pretty good one. I just say, you know, because one thing we don't factor in there is the amount of passing you're doing. Well, oh, yeah, it was quicker winning time than Steigen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. So that one up to yeah, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt Ramson, third in 401.93. So, Matt's also doing the tour down there Back as business, well. Yeah. yeah, so that's good. Now, they moved to Burnham on the 1st of January for the New Year's Day meet mm-hmm. Ash Maloney took out the 120 where do we know Ash Maloney from He's
1: the uh, world under 20 decathlon champion he's also the world under 20 uh, I think he's the mate record holder there's a difference to the the world best I believe but I think he's the mate record holder for world under 20s for decaths so he is just an outrageous athlete in about every facet of the word he um it's probably not technically perfect, but it's just the most ridiculously powerful kid from Queensland and is in the same training group as um, Cedric Dubla. So, yeah, look, he's a kid that could genuinely just transition from world under-20s to seniors, so yeah, I, exciting, I think, you know, it? I wouldn't be stunned if he lands himself a spot in Doha. Yeah, so, yet
0: again, what's that name. So, he was in the 120. Mm-hmm. Um, he was off 2.5 metres. <laughs> Which so is not a lot. Not like a lot. So, he's running 117.5 and yeah. he ran 13.16 on grass. So. And knocked off a, a pretty fair field there with Desper and a few Mm, others,
1: so maybe a little bit of a surprise winner, but Yeah. yeah. I think he ran um, he ran 10:55 in the first round of the decathlon in Tampere in Finland, which mm. I think was actually the world under 20 qualifier
0: for 100. So yeah. he's a genuinely quick kid. Yeah, and that's great. Took home nine thousand dollars too for that win. Phew. That's a pretty good payday. can laugh at yeah. Certainly paid the fares from Queensland down <laughs> to Tassie and some five star accommodation. Uh, still McSwain was back out again because he is doing the, the tour of Tassie. <laughs> Rolled uh, him out. Yeah, he's uh, the King Island boy. Uh, 1600 meters for this one, so not quite the not mile. Quite. Uh, and he was off scratch. Once again, around 402.35. Nah, r- rough a day. Rough a day. I mean, yeah. you're running
1: 402.1600. It's yeah. still very good running, but
0: uh has uh, yeah, would to get out of bed for that one. But yeah. the reason we're getting out of bed, he took out $1,800 for the win in that one. So that's not, not a bad, bad day at the office. Yes. Yeah, cool. Now, one, one, one person who sort of has, I think, got a little bit forgotten about over this whole Christmas New Year break, and we will give her a bit of time here, is Ali Pashley. What did mm. Ali Pashley do, Sean?
1: She ran at the Oh, I think you've got it written down there. I think it's the uh, Sanyo Women's Half Marathon, um, which is held in Okayama uh, in Japan. Um, and look, not, obviously not something that's going to hit Aussie headlines as a race itself. Um, it's more, more of a niche half marathon that's very well attended by Japanese women. I think one of the oh, 222 22 or 22, 224 um, Japanese marathoners was there and Ellie managed to knock her off in coming second. Um, she ran 69... 20? 69.20, which uh, I believe is equal seventh all time on the Aussie list. And yeah. there, there was some uh, commentary from our good friends over at the Inside Running Podcast who noted that, you know... Is a pretty spectacular achievement, um, especially for someone that, not that many years ago, was yeah a very strong runner at AV cross country, but probably wasn't someone that we thought was going to jettison her way into world champs. Teams. No, well, but she's
0: now a world class athlete. Oh yeah, down nine twenty's got you right up there, and yeah. this is seventh on the all time list with mm. um, some very impressive names in front and some very impressive names behind. Yeah. Um, well, Sally said in the last podcast when we talked to her after Zadarpec that she wasn't really looking to Tokyo. That Doha, yeah, she'd have a good shot at doing Doha, and um, yeah. because she knows that quite a lot of the, yeah. the, the other girls won't be looking to do it, yeah. Ali's the Tokyo runner, there's no doubt about it. With that, yeah. you know, she's going to run Nagoya as a next marathon in March. Um, I believe that she'll probably really post a the time there that's going to put her in good stead for um, Tokyo already. She'll then go on and I think run even better. The The issue with Nagoya, it's a women's only race. Uh, they do have pacing squads and mm. things like that, but it's not quite the same as when you're running in the bigger fields with, yep. with more around you. Yep. And I think if Ali can get the right racing, I'm not saying she's not going to run well at Nagoya, I think she will, but I think mm. she'll go even quicker again as she leads towards the Tokyo uh, campaign and I I would be most surprised unless injury really strikes her and strikes Mm -hmm. her badly that this one isn't going to be lining up on the start line at Tokyo.
1: Well, yeah, as as we said in the prep for this show, when you've run low 32 minutes for 10K and sub 70 for the half, you know, I... I don't. I don't know many people who wouldn't consider themselves
0: uh, an We'll out look out around chance, at who's done. There's only one in the country at the moment yeah. who's done that. It's Sorry, a, two. There's one other in the country yeah. that's done that. So it's not those not a big group. two, are, exactly. And yeah. um, so the pressure is now on some of our other marathoners to. You know, and they'd probably look at these results, saying crikey, we've got to get lift the standard. Yeah, we, again. we
1: talk about how competition breeds competition. So I think you know, your you're more established um, senior team marathoners sort of will have to take note of this, and you know, you, you won't just be able to sort of phone in a, a qualifying time for, for Major no, Champs.
0: No. No, and One of the interesting things too could be when they, some of those go to head to head as well and we mm. may see that at London, that could be quite interesting uh, and then it becomes event choice after that and, mm. um, and the continuation as you say and the good thing about this is some of those girls are racing quite regularly and you know, as we've already said in this <laughs> edition of the podcast, we we like that yeah. uh, they're not they're not shying away. They're getting out there and they're getting results. And when you get the results, your confidence goes through the roof. Oh, you're definitely. not doubting anything. You yeah, know if, you're fit. If Ali's popping
1: out these performances, yeah, you know, quite regularly now. Yeah, yeah w- you wouldn't have any reason to turn up to your next race and
0: not think you were going to run very well. That's right. So look, good luck to Ali. Great performance once again. And um, you know, from everyone at AVG, you know, hats off to Ali. She's just going about her business. She's no fuss, a yeah. uh, great girl, great person, and we wish her all the best as she moves into 2019. And to uh, the obviously very excited coach, uh, Julian Spence. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I can't rant about the AV podcast. We're giving her plenty of love. So we mentioned that January is the start of the kick-off of the, the, what do you call, I suppose, the second half of the season where things get really quite interesting. And yet again, the Victorian scene, they're not wanting for any races or any competition at the moment, are they? We, we kick off this weekend with the Vic Multis up at Bendigo. Um, interesting event. Not, about 40-odd entries, I think, across the age groups. Sean?
1: Yeah, but I guess it's a bit of a trip for Metro athletes. But at the same time, yeah, you want to take your, your multi-event comps where you can get them.
0: Um, yeah, and look, and Bendigo's a good venue for this too. It's a very mm-hmm. well set up track too and, um, yeah, good accommodation at Bendigo and, uh, you know, hopefully they're two days up there. I, I think the weather's going to be reasonably okay this weekend. We're not looking at anything too extreme heat, so...
1: Yeah, and, and even if it does get quite hot, I think there's um, the rest area for the multi is set up with uh, some air con. So, yeah,
0: sort of trying to take uh, the necessary measures to make sure everyone gets through that one all right. Yeah, so good luck to everyone up at Bendigo for this one and to our crew in Bendigo who will be making sure mm. the competition goes along really nicely, AV Shield continues along its merry way this weekend It's Shield round number 9 The venues are Werribee and Glen Huntley And of course the country venues uh, AV Frowers they're on the 13th, Sunday the 13th at Ringwood So great to see the Frowers back out there again at Ringwood And then Milers Club rolls on again for meet number 3 Which is back at Box Hill on the 17th of Jan And we're expecting some pretty good racing Particularly the 1500 Fields are looking to start to build quite nicely So we'll be seeing people coming off Falls Creek Coming down, trying to have that first race and hopefully we'll see, if the conditions are good, we'll see some big PBs. We then move to high velocity and really, really excited. The high velocity is back again, Sean. It's on the Friday night, the the night after milers. So what are you looking for there? I think the big thing, as we've spoken about with high velocity, is that
1: you know, we, we are looking for it to be a community supported event and and would encourage everyone that has an interest in it to enter um, you know we, we don't want people fretting too much about you know their times their ability it's it's you know, as we saw with the the growth of Milers club over a long period of time you know you, you need both your club athlete and your your more high performance athlete there as well so anyone that's looking to get you know more experience over their their sprint hurdle or jumps event. Um, Couldn't encourage them more to to get
0: down there and and have a crack. Yeah, that's right. So in the sprints they've opened it up to anyone. So if you are a sprinter and you want to have an extra level of comp away from AV Shield and maybe leading through to championships then high velocity now gives you that opportunity. It's not that the opportunity wasn't there before but I think people misunderstood it because of being top 24 there was that aura of being elite only now when you look back at the history of milers club it always hasn't been this successful it took us a long time to get the club runners thinking okay this is an event for me and it now is a 350 to 400 person event most nights mm-hmm. we want the sprinters starting to think the same thing about hvc that this yeah. is now if you're a sprinter yeah, you know, and you want to make sure that okay, I came in good meets. And if they, you know, if I'm scheduled to run at seven thirty, I run at seven thirty. Whereas at, at Shield, sometimes that can blow a little bit. Mm. So, spinners get behind this. Training squads get behind this. Coaches get behind this. You are the guys that have been screaming, the guys and girls screaming for this competition. The competition will only go ahead if you support it. So, yes, we know it might not always be the right time and the right day and the right wind conditions, but for God's sake, get the sprinters out there because if it doesn't succeed, it'll disappear again. Then you're going to start to complain. Mm. So get behind HVC Box Hill. So that's the Friday night meet. That's good. Um, let's see how it goes and AV is certainly putting a lot of time and effort into this one to make sure it does work. Uh, The following weekend AV Shield round 10 Box Hill, Doncaster and the country venues so once again lots to look forward to in the next couple of weeks so Sean time for a couple of little hot topics Probably not going to go too... I oh know, we might get a little bit controversial, but um, I'm not sure if you'll let me say the word I like saying about the Russians, but I might pop it in later. Let's start with really, really good positive, positive news. news. Very positive news. Jemima Montag. Uh, Victoria has a very good uh, awards system run by our great friends at VicSport. Uh, they're doing a great job of coordinating uh, the Victorian state sort of... For sporting awards jemima's actually been nominated and sorry made the final for two different categories which is pretty rare so she's up for the female performance of the year due to her um, her great walking at the commonwealth games where she took the gold medal she's also in for the junior uh, champion of the victorian champion of the year as well so so to be nominated in uh, to make the final of two categories is Pretty rare, uh, but you couldn't pick of someone think of someone better than Jemima Montag to take that short. So a great port, is isn't it, just to make that final is a pretty huge thing. Oh, To, to be up there with you know,
1: some of the other nominees in the in the category, you've really got to be at the peak of your sport um, and for someone to win at the Commonwealth Games at, at such a young age, I wish her all the best there and hopefully she can pick up some, some hardware.
0: Yes, I think uh, those awards are in February. So Jemima is the only athlete to be nominated, but in some other good news from the recreational running world, one of our AV Rec Running Clubs, the Front Runners, which represents the LBGTI community, they've also been nominated for Club of the Year, so hats off there to the front runners. I've had a lot to do with their formation and their growth now, and their building of a coaching structure, and they're really servicing their community really, really well. And I think in a couple of weeks, I think it might be the 27th of January they're actually staging their Pride Run at the Tan Track. Awesome. Open to anyone. So if you want to support the LGBTI group and you're a runner, the the Pride Run, check out the front runners' website and saw, I've all the Saw details. them down at
1: the Tan on a Saturday morning. Yeah, a they're a good group, looking group.
0: Right. Uh, uniforms just sensational. I Lot yeah, yeah, colours. they're all in uniform. All look yeah. like they're having a good time. No, that's good. So, so well done once again for Jemima making the VicSport Awards, mm. and also to the front runners for getting in there as well. All right, I want to talk about Pat Tien and Sean? Yeah, so
1: for someone that you know had an absolutely stellar season, a few seasons back with you know big times over five k, ten k, three k, the lot. Um, yeah, maybe went a tiny bit missing there for a little while, um, but is poking his head back out for the Houston Half Marathon. Um, for those of you not familiar with it, um, the Houston Half Marathon is extremely flat and extremely fast. So, regularly there you'll find a winning time of, of sub-60 minutes um, and it, it's really well attended. So, for example, there are 18 uh, guys in the race that have run 62 minutes or faster um, with five gentlemen entered who've run faster than 60 minutes. Um and just some massive names there. I know this might be more towards our, our distance nerds that listen to the podcast, but the likes of sort of Beden Kuroki, um, Shura Katata is a guy from Ethiopia who's um, featured at world major level on the podium. Um, also the likes of um, Segura Osako, who's the national record holder for Japan, a, a 205 guy. He's only, we say only, run 61.13. Um, but yeah, so Pat Tien, he sort of had, a I guess, a debut of sorts at the Great North Run. I think was sort of coming back off injury and sort of gave it a training run of sorts. The Great North Run, runs off in a run where you either have to run with the 60 minute group or the 61 minute group or that's about it. Um, so he was back there in sort of 63 uh, 53 but you know if he's worked himself into into decent shape um, I'd expect given the the course and the field um, he could be on for for an absolutely stellar run here. But there is a clash of dates isn't there for him. Yes. So, I've got the website here, but I don't have the exact date in front. Oh, no, it is on January the 20th. Um, so, it does rule him out of, well, theoretically, unless you're pulling off a pretty spectacular flight, um, it rules him out of the World Cross Country trials. So, it'd be very interesting to see what happens there um, regarding selection, whether he's nominated or not. Um, I think he was 17th or 13th at the last um, Yeah, he was the standout performer in New was. The, yeah, he was the first um,
0: um, non-African athlete. Yeah, so, we- you know, look you know, you've got to be careful if you way of phrase that, but it's still quite an achievement, particularly oh, in yeah. Africa. Yeah. Uh, when you throw in the fact that um, even the Bahrain team is full of Africans. So oh, and yeah, more
1: more highlight the fact that he was in front of an absolute swathe of guys with yeah. you know superior PBs and superior yeah, well, accomplishments. I was there yeah. and I saw
0: the race pan out and yeah. his race tactics were just brilliant. Yeah, you know, he didn't start anywhere near the front, but he, yeah. he lap after lap after lap just he tore just through people tore through people and Pat ran a, a brilliant race there and, and I think in many ways that stamped him as is a quality athlete to get to that position but I think you know in recent years Colos coming eighth is probably the best obviously we had Benita win it back in about 2004 Mm. Uh, but Pat's run to position that highly in Uganda in very hot and steamy conditions was a brilliant
1: yeah and and this really could be you know and that'll be another topic you know that we'll we'll look to cover in later podcasts given the trials themselves are on the 24th I believe um, on the Australia Day long weekend Um, I think the the tough thing is just how different an event can be, as as cross-country you know, always is, but depending on the course. And our house in, in Denmark um, is an event and an organising committee um, that have been... You know, prepping for this event for quite some time and a, as opposed to the Australian bid <laughs> and they're uh, that's not entirely incorrect um, and I'm pretty, pretty pumped about it if, if anyone's ever seen there's a, a long form article um, written by the guy that organised it I think if you just type in uh, there's, a, there's a website called Medium and if you type in Medium and our house 2019 there's a, an article that pops up by Google um, where they explain in real detail the bid process which they weren't given a lot of time I think they were given six weeks to put together the bid um, after I think hosting European maybe the European half marathon or the Copenhagen half marathon and um, and just went from there and it looks like a fascinating course it's yeah. got yeah. lots of activation zones it's got a mass participation element it goes. Yeah, the
0: believe are putting a lot of time in this they're, trying to, yeah, they're really trying to reinvigorate the whole cross country scene because what we've seen over the last probably 15 to 20 years is the Europeans basically disappear off that scene because mm-hmm. they used to dominate it then obviously the East Africans started to come in through the the 80s and into the 90s, and, and really do dominate it. And you know, I think at the last one, the, the country count from Europe that weren't there was pretty massive, and, and honestly, that's disappointing. Yeah, uh, the good thing, you know, and this is one good thing with AA, they are sending full teams to these things, and we actually did quite well. You know, yeah, it, we can it, do it, quite uh, well. Jack Rayner at that race, yeah. um, you know, ran, you know, it was probably Jack's first foray into that level, and, and he really took it. He, um, and why not? So, uh, but it's it's great to see that the this world cross country at. Denmark um, is gonna be something special. And yeah. our team I think hopefully could be something special. And oh, Pat Tiernan should be part of that team.
1: Yeah, and if you look at that in terms of perspective, you know, Athletics Australia is often, you know, pretty harshly criticised for selection policies and so on. But you know, if they Keep their noggins on and continue to select full teams. You, know, you look at some other powerhouses like UK Aths. Um, if anyone's got a spare minute, check out their uh, high performance uh, document. Um, their sort of outline. Um, well, cross country, it's it's not considered a high performance event. It's um, it's considered too close to the Stanford, the Peyton Jordan 10K. So. Yeah,
0: and to me, the I think you know I'll go controversial here, but the <laughs> the palms have got their rocks in their head. And I was yeah. I was in Uganda for the last time, and I I think the event might have been on the Saturday. They didn't come in till about late third. Thursday afternoon, mm. and they were not prepared for Uganda. They were they were pathetic. Mm. The Poms in Uganda were pathetic. Why? Obviously, because their state or the national body didn't give it Well, Well, that, that's and a strange
1: thing. They hold a, a you know, yeah. there's a selection event. This is
0: the World Cross-Country Championship, yeah, for God's and sake. They, you know? they have extremely strong cross-country
1: leagues yeah. and, and sort of club events over there, and they're supposed to lead into this big national championship, and often the criticism is that there's a trial, but it's really only a trial if, you know, your, your Olympic finalists turn up. Yeah. So, yeah. you
0: know. I think Australia should be... Yeah, so, so good be, on... Yeah, this is the good thing about Australia. Yeah, it should be and, stuck. And, and we are seeing the likes of Jack Reiner come through this. Tiernan, that was a break for... It. Everyone started talking about him. Yeah. You know, he'd already had the, the great collegiate career, but mm. this is one that said, well, okay, he's actually world level too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. You know, and if we had the policy similar to to England or Germany or Poland or some of those other countries, mm. he wouldn't have been be there. there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's ridiculous. Um, so, let's lead on to... <laughs> What's happening with WADA? What's happening with the, I'm going to say it, the dirty Russians?
1: There, uh, there, was, a, there was a big deadline hanging over their head. The the deadline they had to let WADA uh, into their Moscow lab and have full access and full access to data and samples and, you know, basically the whole treasure trove of, of dirty stuff they had packed back there. Um, it was supposed to be the 31st of December 2018 and they comfortably missed that and didn't organise any, you know, trip or access to WADA. Um you know, the athletes' commissions that are involved with WADA were quite vocal about the fact that, you know, this should really be a final straw. Athletics has been one of the only sports that's held out on them yeah, and said that them. they weren't, you know, they weren't going to deviate from what was the original, I believe it's labelled as a roadmap, um, that there were a couple of key things that WADA had to have until the Russians were allowed back into competition, and that was full access to their laboratory data. Um, that hasn't happened. I believe the next sort of general council meeting of WADA is the 14th of January. Um all of a sudden, um, Putin's become involved, the sports ministers appealed to him, um, and there seems to be a sort of a ramshackle visit from WADA on the 9th is scheduled. Okay. Um, so Probably the, personally the it. So, they, they should be getting there around today, allegedly, but, um, you know... I think it's uh, Sir Craig Reedy is the head of WADA and has been absolutely slammed in the media in the sense of, you know, basically coming out with a meek statement suggesting, oh, well, wouldn't us getting some info on the ninth be better than nothing? But yeah. I think athletes are up in arms and, you know, USADA, um, who were headed up by Travis Tigard, who was best known for taking down Lance Armstrong, um, didn't mince words at all and, and yeah. basically called it absolutely pathetic and said that, you know, this is a time for other national... What
0: are they afraid of?
1: I think there can, and I know this is—it's mere speculation—but you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. The only reason you wouldn't allow lab access is because the number of positives that they've sort of thrown out as red herrings or sort of yep. you know charity positives, there's got to be a lot more. Yeah, I, I so think,
0: they're the lamps to the slaughter. but You're saying there's some much bigger. Oh, names. I think there
1: could be some some
0: far mm. deeper positives yeah. stacked yeah. back there. Um, but in the end, though, why? aren't WADA being stronger? Is, are they afraid of, you know, a Salisbury-type incident or something like that, or men with umbrellas poking well, them in the I, legs? Who knows? I think the debate no. is uh, part that, you know, the the
1: sanctioning is the strongest measure you can take. You know, you, yeah. you ban a group from competition. Um, and, you know, even lately there's been talks about Kenya as well with how yep. many positives they've had, when do they hit a point where they're, where they're banned. Um, but with Russia... Uh, <laughs> I think that there's this understanding from the public that WADA can simply tell Russia something and that they'll be let in. Yeah. I, I don't no, no, think no, it's no. that simple at all. No. You know, you're dealing with global politics. You're yeah. dealing with a country that is famously, you know, private. It's run by a dictator. And, is, yeah. and is run... It's, it's very much just the Soviet Union rolled over. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, if, if WADA could turn up on the doorstep and the Russians yeah. would just parked themselves there and say, yeah, wouldn't no. have thought so. So... Obviously, it's a little bit more complex than our humble podcast can can tackle. But I think athletes of the world have got a right to be very, very frustrated by the the shambles that is this. Uh, yeah, but it's nice Karen to era.
0: poke the bear a little bit, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah, why not? Plenty of good reading out there on on the internet. If anyone uh, feels feels worthy of firing up Twitter or Google.
0: Yeah. So once once again, let's follow these dates. Let's see what happens. But uh, chances are, not much. Probably not. So a fairly diverse. grouping of things we've had to talk about today, Sean, for episode number five. Um, Some good results, as we've talked about. Also some great, exciting things coming up uh, and some good news. Mm. Now... We'll probably have another couple of weeks because of break and then we'll be back again. Hopefully we'll get to do a podcast pre-World Cross Trials and probably around the time of the Victorian Country Championships. So that's probably our next schedule uh, because we're going to lose you for a little while. You're heading off to Japan.
1: Yeah, so we've we've um, sort of... You know, Tried to show a fair bit of initiative, be, be progressive. Um, we've had some success with some Japanese athletes popping down for both training stints and racing in Zatapek and that's opened up a few corridors um, in Japan. So we've set up some meetings with um, this gentleman, Brett Lana, who's best known for probably running uh, Japanese running news as a website, um, one of the only... English um, sort of translated insights into the world Japanese running. And, yeah, at we've, we've always thought that it's it's a much shorter trip than it is to Europe or the US. Yeah, and then better if we time can, zones. Yeah, if, if we can foster some... Um, some sort of competition back and forth um between our season and the japanese season which runs sort of almost year-round in parts um both road racing and, and track races you know they have events over there that run 15 to 25k and 10k races back to back through the whole day so you know maybe for even our, our more sub-elite groups it could be a, a really fun option
0: yeah look i'm quite excited about what you're doing here and, and well done to you for you're know, reaching out to lana for a start and then creating that relationship because i think you know putting a few of my hats on this could really um you know, benefit uh, Victorian and Australian athletics for a while. Uh, Zatopek, you know, as we saw with Nia, you know, she yeah. really set that event on fire. She was excellent. Uh, Melbourne Marathon, We can create, create some linkages there, so we're no longer reliant on D and E grade Kenyans, but we can actually <laughs> bring some quality um, Japanese to the field to, yeah. to really attack those times that we've got. You know, the women's times impressive. The men still probably lags. Mm. Uh, so this is really exciting, and, and just having that Brett Lana link, I think, is quite good for us now. And, and well done. Yeah, I again.
1: think with the lead up to. To Yokohama from a sprint perspective and, and Tokyo from a, an overall athletics perspective yep. you know if, if there are ways we can make Japan more accessible in terms of trial events or sort of practice events effectively for athletes looking to race over there you know we we should be looking to do that for the, the good of the athletes.
0: Yeah no well done um, yeah I've got a busy few I'm not Travelling overseas But I'm off to Hamilton This oh. weekend Which is look at, Yeah look This is part of my job With the recreational running We've got the Hamilton runners there Norel for shows done an awesome job Setting up this new club In Hamilton mm. It's about three and a half hours I think from Melbourne um, Heading that way. Uh, and we're doing a seminar or training session on awesome. Friday afternoon and a seminar Friday night and then we're doing a level one coaching course on Saturday. So that's great to, you know, yet again get out to the countryside. I've got a few of these trips planned for 2019 where we're mm. trying to get the reach and the input of AV into regional areas. I've uh, got come one coming up in sale in February as well. Uh, and then I've got another interesting little gig in uh, the week after. I'm off to Hermansburg Mission which is just outside of Alice Springs. So working with Charlie Maher, and for those of you who know about the Indigenous Marr project. Uh, Charlie was one of the original IMP runners who you were know, one of the first to go to New York and do the marathon uh, he is from Hermansburg he's now resident in Port Macquarie and Charlie has now got funding to do a bit of an exchange program between Port Mac and Hermansburg so he's going to be taking Port Mac kids across to Hermansburg and vice versa Hermans- Hermansburg kids across to Port Macquarie so you can yeah. imagine the cultural Oh definitely yeah. and I
1: believe um, applications are open again for, for the IMP. Yeah, yes.
0: so that'll roll through they'll be doing their trials across um, Australia during uh, probably, usually it's around February, March and then in April they announce the squad that will go to New York or that will trial to get to New York Mm. not all of them always make it, they pick 12 people, 12 young people from across Australia and what they're looking for in that, for any of the Indigenous, you know we might have in the audience at the moment, they're looking for people who not only are trying to be athletes or run marathons but trying to make change to both their life and to other people's life and then go back to community and uh, initiate that change, and you look at someone like Charlie Maher, who you know, I'm very close to now, and he's done so much both in Hermansburg or where he's now trying to get back to, but also in the Port Macquarie uh, environment as well, developing a deadly running group, um, having a, you know a running group there that's all about family and it's not just about men going out and doing their stuff. Mm. They actually have a lovely model where the men and or we, well, the whole family meets together at a playground and the, everyone does something. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Hermansburg should be good. We're delivering a level one coaching course there. So we're trying to get a deadly running group going in Hermansburg. Hermansburg, like a lot of Uh, Indigenous communities, they face their issues you know, uh, drug abuse uh, domestic violence, all those sort of things and what we're doing with the running world or the um, through with Athletics Australia and what we do with AV is we're trying to replace one drug with another basically and bring in that world of um, exercise uh, confidence in your own ability and the ability just to get fit
1: Yeah, just physical activity for positive mental health outcomes. So
0: it's uh, quite a good things i'll be in hermansburg for about three days so so that'll be before we meet for the next podcast Mm. and then we'll uh hopefully have a nice we'll know who'll be running the world cross trails and we'll hopefully do a nice preview of that awesome all right so hopefully everyone's well out there in podcast land and uh, we will see you in or sorry you'll be able to hear us on podcast number six in a few weeks time so thanks for listening and once again uh, stay healthy stay fit and we'll see you somewhere around the tracks